Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. Now, Bears, etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak and Tom Fitton. Hey, maybe they won it for 51. The late Dick Butkus uh, from above watching the Bears uh, take out the Washington Commanders 40-20. to Welcome into our... Bears, etc. podcast, wrapping things up after the first victory of the season, snapping a 14-game losing streak. We're brought to you by Miller Lite, the official beer of the Chicago Bears. Tastes like Miller Time Chicago with Tom Thayer, the Super Bowl-winning Bear guard. I'm Jeff Joniak. Uh, first of all, think about New England on the road, the last win, and this one, uh, the Bears came out swinging, Tommy. They came out fast and finished strong. Yeah, they did. You know, I'm proud of the guys because they showed a lot of resiliency. They never listened to the outside noise that can really be a factor in this modern-day world of social media and opinions. And these guys obviously went and prepared mentally as well as they could in a short week because you really don't get a chance to prepare physically. But these guys came out of the box fast. They had a great first drive. Justin was perfect. DJ Moore was making some big catches. The running game was actively involved. The offensive line was protecting Justin. So when I saw the early parts of this game, you knew the Bears were prepared, and you just hoped that they could sustain that effort. It was a tremendous start by offense coordinator Luke Getze, dialing up some big throws deep up by Justin Fields. First to Darnell Mooney to start things off. It didn't connect, but he certainly connected repeatedly with DJ Moore. A record-setting day, career-high 230 yards on eight receptions for DJ Moore and two touchdowns, four on the day, Back-to-back weeks with four touchdown passes, and right now Justin Fields leads the NFL in touchdown passes. Right. You know, it's amazing because I think everybody got an indicator, and Luke said it two weeks ago, that Justin was starting to get it and that he was becoming more familiar with the playbook. He was getting a better understanding of timing. We always knew Justin was an accurate passer, and he's got long ball accuracy in him as well, and I think you'll see him capitalize it more as the year goes on but it is everybody taking their their part doing their job here and when you look at the offensive line and Justin and Luke Getze and then you look at the contributions of the defense it was a total team effort at the end of the night. All right we got to talk about the offensive line to make those plays happen and then we'll dive into DJ and how uh, unbelievable of an athlete he is at the receiver position. Uh, You didn't know what was going to happen when things started going injury-wise, okay, so you started with Larry Borm at left tackle for Braxton Jones. You started Cody Whitehair at left guard, Lucas Patrick at center. Right guard is Nate Davis. Right tackle, Darnell Wright. You knew that Tevin Jenkins was coming back and going to rotate in with not the center position with Cody moving to center, but with Cody. So he comes in on, what, the third or second series of the game, third, third series yeah. of the game, and then Lucas Patrick suffers a concussion. And, now, and listen, I wasn't a big fan of Tevin Jenkins yeah. playing tonight. I thought he had a, needed a little bit of physical wrap-up time after his injury to make sure that everything was set and ready to go. But you didn't have that luxury. You had a hiccup injury with Lucas Patrick having a um, protocol for the concussion, and then 
Cody did a great job of moving over and commanding the center position. And then Tevin was in for the rest of the night outside of two series that Jachari Carter came in in the second half. And Tevin played well. So I think when we talk about what the offensive line could possibly look like throughout the offseason, maybe we're going to get a chance to see what it could possibly look, look like early in this season. And I did speak to uh, Tevin after the game for Marquee and their postgame show and he goes, yeah, he goes, I, I, I was a little uh, surprised at how this all turned out. Obviously, you don't know what you're going to need. If you're dressed, you got to play. But he did. He weathered it, and uh, he was happy about it and happy, happy to get a win, number one. Uh, also, the pocket was clean. Yeah, pocket. So for these big plays, the DJ Moore, he had uh, most of the big plays in the game, and they always list the top ten biggest plays of the game. And he had, I believe, five of them himself. And, of course, that's Justin making it happen. But the 58-yarder in the first quarter, a 56-yard touchdown on the throw left, uh, pushed out of bounds at the Washington 30 for 39 yards in the first quarter. He also had a 32-yard connection and a 20-yard touchdown. The suddenness that we speak of when he makes a catch and then gets out of a tackle or just snatches the ball – out of a approaching defender, like at the end of the game, that was a gutsy throw by Justin Fields, and he he took it to the house, and that 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 ended the night. But uh, so yeah, you got to say all those complimentary things about DJ Moore because he has incredible hand-eye coordination. He can catch it in a small space, and he can catch it with a distraction in his vision. But to me, it's about Justin making those throws because we've been begging Justin to make those kind of small window opportunity throws and then put the onus on the receiver to go up and make a big catch for him. So Justin uh, was able to give DJ those opportunities, and he was only fingertips away from the big uh, throws that he gave to Darnell Mooney. And so now if we see Darnell Mooney starting to capitalize on some big throws along with DJ Moore, the continuance of the tight end position, you don't know where this offense could go in the passing direction. The Bears jumped to a 27-3 lead. Then coming out of the locker room at halftime, Washington uh, came in strong. They, they had a 75-yard drive to start the third quarter. They put up 11 points in that third quarter with a two-point conversion on a touchdown. Uh, but the Bears finished with 13 points in the fourth quarter to get that 40-20 to 20 lead. But it was close to being a seven-point game. Joey Sly missed a field goal, and there was plenty of time in it. That would have maybe been an interesting scenario, and that would have been a gut check for the Bears because they had a big lead, and Washington hung in there and chipped away. Running the ball was out of the question. Right? They, they were one-dimensional. They, they tossed it. 50-something times. Listen, Eric Bieniemy, the former offensive coach for the Kansas City Chief, who is now the offensive coordinator at Washington Redskins, he went to the old Kansas City plan where we're going to exclusively throw the ball, and if we get a run, it's going to be because of a scramble of a quarterback. But the Washington did well. But then when the Bears needed to come up and make some plays, when they had to get some sacks in really an important time in the game, they were able to do that. And I like some of the creative creativeness that they showed at the line of scrimmage gave opportunities for guys to be set free. Stroman is a guy that was able to come up and get a sack. So all the little things that they did to improve themselves this week will carry on into the upcoming weeks. All right. There were a bunch of other injuries to the running game. So Khalil Herbert left the game. Travis Homer left the game. Roshan Johnson left the game with a concussion. So left our guy 
uh, blasting game, who we very much respect at the fullback position. He didn't get a lot of he doesn't get a lot of snaps throughout the course of the season. Coming into the game, just three rushing attempts in his career, and they had to use him. <laughs> hey, blasting game on the day had eight carries and twenty six yards. And a long of six. Yeah, but you know, before he had to become the uh, ball carrier for the Bears, he was th- really doing a nice job blocking and leading Khalil Herbert through some well-designed holes up through the center of the defense that got him up to the second level. But when he was called on an emergency scenario, he came through for the Bears. And I think that shows one of the commitments of Kari Blassingame. He's not only learning the fullback position, he understands the halfback responsibility as a as well. So if they do get into that emergency situation, the Bears don't have to change their playbook much because Kari Blassingame can do a little bit of everything. We're brought to you by PNC Bank, official bank of the Chicago Bears. So I mentioned, and we're going to get to the defense in a moment here, they did have five sacks. They put pressure on uh, a very tough quarterback. You know, I mentioned and you agree, I think, that he reminds you of Baker Mayfield a little bit. He's, He's gutsy. Uh, he kind of gets he's not that tall so he kind of gets swallowed up in the pocket but he hangs in there tough. He does. And you know like we saw Baker a couple of weeks ago in Tampa Bay and he really showed a solid knowledge of his offense by getting rid of the ball as he was falling to the ground. And Sam Howell has that same type of fight in him. If you want to get him to the ground, you have to get him to the ground. It's not something like he's going to trip, stumble and fall. And you saw there's multiple times where more than one guy had to hit him to bring him to the ground. However, the relentless pursuit of the Bears' defensive line did a nice job of keeping him contained. All right, balance was key. 32 runs called by Luke Getze, 32 pass plays, nine rushing first downs, nine passing first downs. How about that for a game plan? Well, it came to work out that way. I don't think you go with the intentions of saying, okay, check one, one run, Mm -hmm. one pass. No, it's kind of the way the game worked itself out. But, you know, the nice thing about Luke is he never neglected either portion of the game. Even when they had a big lead, they still threw the ball. And then when they were trying to keep the lead and kind of challenge the defense for time of possession, he was keeping it even. Then you lose all the running backs and you have to insert Kari Blast game so many changes on the offensive line so I'm glad he didn't neglect anything because there was personnel changes all right let's talk defense because you can look at it and say okay they gave up a lot of yards the Bears had 451 yards they had 388 Uh, they had actually more as it turned out offensive plays than the Bears the commanders with 66 Uh, they had time of possession pretty much even 37 completions on the day uh, for their quarterback Sam Howell but the turnovers, a couple of big ones. Greg Stroman Jr., uh, a former Washington draft pick, local guy from Virginia Tech, nice swipe. Then he was sent on a blitz, had a sack. And then I'll tell you, this Terrell Smith's going to be a player also. We think Tyreek Stevenson is going to be a player for a long time, physicality. Uh, Terrell Smith is no slouch either. Now, he had to leave the game briefly as well, but these are two rookies starting at corner. Okay. And the receivers were quiet, especially Terry McLaurin. We kept waiting for him to go off. It never happened. No. And, you know, I was sitting there going, boy, they're, they're going to set up Tariq Stevenson. They're going to try a double move. When they did try a double move, the receiver ran right into Tariq Stevens, Stevenson, and it wasn't a penalty. So it, they did a nice job. Um, I think they complimented the pass rush well. And – 
you know, you got to kind of see that evolution of young defensive backs because, you know, we, we were introduced to it last year when a lot of defensive backs had to play and they all played well. I think they're in a position where a lot of these young guys are getting experience that's going to pay dividends down the line. Brisker did play. We didn't know for sure that was going to happen, but they did this, you know, without Jalen Johnson. Uh, they did it with Kyler Gordon still mending uh, from his broken hand. Uh, Eddie Jackson did not play. So uh, this is a... This is a, a mix uh, of different uh, varieties and experience level. And Matt, Matt Eberflus said before the game, yeah, it is a challenge. It is a challenge to make it all fit together like a puzzle, but uh, it managed to work just well enough to stop Washington. And Matt complimented him equally as well after the game because every single coach had to make some type of adjustment. Luke and calling the plays because of the running back position. Chris Morgan changes on the offensive line and understood how he was going to rotate these guys. You have to look at the receiver position after a couple of them went down. Same thing on defense. Changes all over the place. So Matt's uh, coaching staff was really well prepared for the changes that they had to make at a moment's notice. All right, we touched on the two rookie corners. Let's talk on uh, Javon Dexter because uh, he had three pressures in the game. I think he had a run stop as well. Um, he was very his birthday t- uh, last night, so oh, that, that was big for him too. Uh, yeah. uh, and, you know, I interviewed him as well. And, uh, man, he's big. He's a big dude. And, he, yeah. you know, that that's a topic. Now, how much development can he make every single game, and that's going to be something to watch here along with Zach Pickens. Well, we talked about it during the broadcast. One thing that impressed me is I was sitting on the Bears bench at pregame and watching him go through warm-ups with the defensive line coach and the assistant defensive line coach, and they were kind of calling out assignments during the course of his warm-up, and he was adjusting to every single one of them. It's how does he use his frame? How does he use his length? How does he fill the void or fill the gap of according to his responsibility? So, you know, listen, Javon Dexter, his uh, assets, his his tempo, everything, he should be going through the roof for the rest of the season. We talk about situational football, and we said, hey, third down's got to get better. Well, it, it did get better on the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, again, they were throwing every down, uh, so they had, you know, 50% conversion, 6 of 12, but it wasn't a game changer. I, I talked about that being an impact on where the Bears start field position, for example, if you're not getting guys off the field. The Bears averaged their own 37-yard line. So that's a, that's a major upgrade because they were near the bottom of the barrel in the league in terms of starting field position where they got the ball. They didn't turn the ball over. And then fourth quarter, you were watching it closely because no matter what the lead was, and we're starting to get nervous as we touched on earlier here, they finished the job. And it was Justin and DJ Moore finishing the job. It yeah. wasn't. The, it was the offense finishing the win. Well, you know, when you, uh, Jason McKee entered, interviewed Matt Eberflus coming out of the locker room, you know, you kind of listen to his voice and you say, okay, is he apprehensive? Is he nervous? I think he was excited for the opportunity to get out and start the second half. But you always have concerns because of what happened last week. But I think Matt did a nice job of keeping his defense actively involved in the game. And then the offense did a nice job of complementing the defense. And um, I think I remember the, the punter for the Bears the first time he punted into the game and you said you said this is his first punt 
And it's kind of odd because it might have been in the third quarter. And, uh, you know, so when you think of field position and, the, and their role and how important it is to give the Bear a little bit of, uh, you know, backside freedom, it was, it was great to see them capitalize on their, their field position in their play. Yeah, uh, Washington punted twice, uh, and the Bears punted three times on the day. That's it. Bears scored on their first five possessions. Uh, that means that and they were uh, in the red zone. Five consecutive drives. They only managed to score three touchdowns out of the five, but I'll take that as they continue to grow their offense. How about um, this three games and counting with no kickoff returns? It's a sore subject because right. I wrote it down <laughs> on the plane, Tom. I wrote it out playing. In the game, 14 combined kickoffs, 14 no, no. touchbacks. Yeah. And with all kidding aside, this is consecutive weeks. And, okay, you're trying to figure out what Bayless Jones is, right? Right. He's not even – he's just standing there. And I know it's strategy, and everybody, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. And forget about that fair catch rule. They're just kicking it. They're not coming out. They're not putting their guy back in the end zone to take it out. They want the field position. As I referred to you before the week, we got underway with this Thursday night matchup. There were 82 returns for an average of 23.7 yards. So if you're going to get the ball at the 25, is that two yards that you're – giving up by returning those 82 kicks worth the potential of a, a, a game-breaking play or a 50-yard return, your, your, your special teams unit are getting wind sprints. They're well, not get, what I mean, you tell me as a guy who was on you well, know, kickoff and punt his whole career. I, well, I was on kickoff return, and our returners always had a little bit more freedom. Whereas if you have a bona fide Devin Hester-type guy, you're going to give him a little bit more freedom to back up in the end zone. So maybe it's time to take Valus Jones and give him five running back plays a game. If you're not going to play him at wide receiver because the competition is stiff, I want to see Valus put the ball in his hands because he is still a physical runner. So maybe you do get him in a multi-back set or you put him back there and give him some carries in a one-back formation. So maybe that's the way that you try to get him some touches. Good news. Chicago United Airlines is getting brand-new planes with all the bells and whistles like Bluetooth connectivity, screens at every seat and room for everyone's roller bag. United, proud to fly the Chicago Bears and you too. All right, a couple of notes before we get into Dick Butkus and wrap this up. Uh, first 40-point game since the 41-17 win at Jacksonville, December 27, 2020. Uh, Justin Fields, the last two first halves against Denver and at Washington. Consider that one whole game, will you? 28-37, 420, 76% completion percentage and six touchdowns. That's just in the first halves. Yeah, impressive. And, again, you you know how I felt about him throwing that Hail Mary pass in the last play of the first half last week. I don't think they should have done it. They should have thrown an easy completion or taken a knee. And then he would have ended up 24 out of 24 in that game because he came out in the second half and completed his first five or six. All right. And then uh, the other aspect I wanted to bring up statistically is – where did it go here? In his first 20 plays to get the ball rolling, 8 of 12, 145 yards, a touchdown, a sack, and seven first downs. I bring it up because they always have a first 15. So if you're, if you're starting strong with your first 15 to 20 and you're getting a, a couple of scores on the board, what does that do for the rest of the game plan and the defense? And they're playing on a lead, which they have rarely done 
here in the la- during that 14-game losing streak. Well, in that first 15, they do a lot of exploratory stuff. You, can, you run a certain set, you run a certain route, you run a certain type of play because you want to get an indicator how the defense is going to handle that, and that helps you call plays later in the game. So I think it's super beneficial when you talk about seven first downs and all the types of the yardages that they can get. I think they can learn more about what's available to them as the game moves on, and maybe that's why Justin – is starting to have a strong second quarter into the third quarter and beyond. Take a chance. Download the Bet Rivers app today and visit Hard Seltzer, the official Hard Seltzer of the Chicago Bears. All right, 51. We, we both had plenty of interactions with Dick Butkus. He died at the age of 80 overnight. Uh, and news spread throughout the day into the stadium. We're walking to do our television show, Bears Game Day, live on Fox, and you hear Bears fans just finding out from their phones, and you could hear them yelling to each other in the stadium. It was eerie. You know, it's it's way different than what the other remarkable game was when we were doing the preseason game when Andrew Luck retired and with all this murmuring going on and booing, and, you know, he wasn't coming back. He was leaving the Colts, but this is a passing of a legend. But to hear it rumor mill kicking up through the stands. You hear, you, I heard it. I don't know if you heard it. It was eerie. But I just interviewed him three weeks ago. We talked about it at length in the broadcast. Uh, and oddly, and I, I was talking with Tremaine Edmonds after the game because he also spent a good hour talking to Dick Butkus on the same day that I interviewed him. They were interviewing each other, and they said, hey, can we just kill the camera? And they just talked. And it was amazing. And Edmonds got a huge, huge kick out of it, and he really explored Dick Butkus, the man, what he did to get ready to play, how he played so viciously. So, But I remember, and I told Tremaine this, I said, hey, man, can you believe this? He goes, man, you know, it gave me goosebumps. And I said, you know, the last thing I asked, how do you want to be remembered? And three weeks later, he passes away. And he wanted to be remembered as the guy who loved the game more than anybody. And hard to imagine anybody loving the game more and he played with such verve and vigor and viciousness, uh, uniquely Chicago tough, uh, you know, born in this city, raised in this city, played in this city, played at U of I, uh, and carried the, the, the beacon along with Gail Sayers in those 60s when they were great players, Hall of Famers, but this team didn't stack up a lot of wins, and uh, he threw his body around like uh, nobody else. Well, you know, the one thing that amazes me about Dick Dick Buckus as a young man and as an as a older gentleman that he came on to be is he's super antagonistic. As a player, he will go up and tell the center about the, how much he's going to beat him up throughout the day. <clears throat> he throws running backs around like they're wet wet t-shirts he physically hits tight ends across the middle people remember playing against him and for years to come but then a couple years ago dick buckus enters the twitter world and he becomes as antagonistic on the twitter world as he did as a football player as a young man and i really got a kick out of that because you know me i'm the most anti-social media person there is in the world but it seemed to me when they were play, when we were playing the the Bears were playing the Green Bay Packers or he had a chance to take shots at a couple guys at this point in his life. I really found it funny and I enjoyed it. But um, getting to be dressing in the locker room in a Chicago Bear uniform as a young kid, as a player, in watching Dick Buckus walk into the room, it 
it didn't silence the room. It created that murmur where, hey, Buckus is in the room, and look at this guy. I mean, he had that look about himself, always like, you know, he could wrap his hands up like you see that picture of him oh, with those folded picture, hands yeah. and his knuckles wrapped in white tape and yep. how archaic of a padding that was. And, you know, when you're when you become as – Oh, you know, just as great as a player as he was in one of the most physically tough eras in the NFL, and you only have to say one name and you know exactly who you're talking about. Or they say, hey, who's some of the best middle linebackers in the history of the league? His name comes right to the top of your, you know, to it's the It's a name that just breathes football. Right. It's Butkus. Yeah, Butkus. Butkus. And, and I'm telling you, I the thing I always got a kick out of was when Rocky named his dog Butkus, and I and I asked him about the whole story. It's just super funny that Sylvester Stallone did it out of respect. He never told Butkus until Butkus saw the movie. You know, it really bugged him that people thought he was absolutely, like he was a dirty player. He says, I was not a dirty player. I played within the rules that yeah. were set back then, and people feared me, absolutely. But he goes, you know, I played hard. I played hard and physical, and I'm a nice guy. I'm not this ogre that's, uh, you know, unapproachable. And, yes, he was gruff. He was gruff, but, my gosh, he was hilarious. And uh, an actor, uh, you know, part comedian when you get right down to it, and philanthropic. I mean, he had a lot of connections to a lot of different things and living out there. But how about a 60-year marriage and, and Helen his wife, uh, condolences to him, uh, to her and uh, and their family. Yeah, but you know, George Hallis would not let you play dirty. He's no. not the founder of the National Football League, and he's going to come in and allow his players to go out and purposely hurt other players on other teams <clears throat> because that's totally against everything they stand for. And it's the same kind of passion that Mike Ditka had for the game. He was not going to let any any of the guys he coached go out and purposely hurt people. George Hallis wouldn't either, and Dick Buckus wouldn't do it on purpose. However, he played the game so physical that maybe you got up a little wobbly at times. Boy, I tell you what, I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity. I talked to him more than once. I did a four-hour interview with him in a downtown Chicago hotel years ago from birth to where he was then. I remember he was sitting there, and I thought, oh, my gosh, is, is, he, is he okay with us doing this in-depth? He loved it. Yeah. We talked for four hours about football and life. And it was amazing. And then, you know, just last week. So I, I'm, I'm honored to have, have done it. Uh, hate that he is gone. And, uh, but he was, you know, here for alumni weekend, and a lot of people got to see him one last time. Listen, that dude will never be forgotten. No. That's the thing about Dick Buckus is uh, it's sad as passing 80 years old. Uh, he's been blessed because he's loved football so much, and he's always been able to stay a part of the game of football and be a major influence. Heck, people forget. You know, if you're not aware of this, he, he was in the booth. He was Tommy. Yeah. When Tommy was playing in the 85 right. Super Bowl, that was your broadcast crew. That's Wayne Larravee, Hub Arkish, and Dick Butkus, he, he right? Or no, in, Jim Hart. Yeah. Jim Hart and Dick and uh, Hub was a part of the pregame and postgame. Yeah, and he would come and sit in the locker room. That's what I'm saying. You know, During we, the Super Bowl year. Every, the whole time he was a broadcaster, it wasn't uncommon for the guys to come and sit in the locker room, and maybe he would sit down next to a player and have a conversation. He would spend time in Ditka's office. But it's just seeing Dick Buckus walk in your frigging locker room. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to put into words how 
you wanted to impress him, man. You wanted Dick Buckus to think that you were a good football player, and if you had that type of cachet, that type of check mark, man, it meant a lot to you throughout your career. I tell you, he told a funny story, and we're going to wrap this up. But uh, the center for the Detroit Lions, Ed Flanagan, he got on his nerves late in a game. The game was over, and Butkus kept on hitting him and and kicking the ball away, and they just wanted to end the game. And just just to rattle his cage. Or he goes into the end zone, he catches a touchdown, and he just th- flashes the ball in the face of the defender, and the guy, you know, bangs it out. Right. It, like you say, he, he's an antagonist. He's, yeah. You got a lot of that in you, too, right? But, you know, Buck has <laughs> in a had, fun way. Buck has had five interceptions his rookie year. And when you think of that, that's, some, that's a career or a year for a cornerback. Not less, not necessarily a middle linebacker. So obviously, the dude was a good athlete and could catch balls out of the air from short distances. I, I did ask him about that. How did he get so many? He goes, you know, I was reading the eyes of the quarterback, and I would just slide to where his eyes were taking me. Right, and uh, I had great instincts to swipe the football. So you know, and 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 you know, many people thought he was going to be a great center. He He's going to be a great center. Yeah, I think it, I think in college he played center for a good portion of time. Richard Marvin Butkus. Mm. Some of his nicknames. I wonder if anybody called him Marvin just to get under. His I'm skin. sure they did. I'm sure they did. But at six three two forty five, he was also uh, carrying around names like I'm sure these are from players or whatever. Mm-hmm. The the animal, the enforcer, the maestro of mayhem, or the robot of destruction. But a career that spanned 119 games. 22 interceptions, and he played every snap with the Chicago Bears when they were 14-game seasons. His last season was 1973, a Hall of Famer, and uh, a great loss to uh, NFL. NFL films captured him forever. All right, Tom, uh, right now when you spend over $29.99 at Steinhoffel's, you'll score a $100 Bears Pro Shop gift card. Visit any one of their four Chicagoland locations in Vernon Hills, Crystal Lake, Downers Grove, and Harwood Heights, or shop online at steinhoffels.com. What's this mean win in the end is they now have 10 days off before greeting Minnesota to stop another streak, an eight-game losing streak in the NFC North. It's just a, it's a great win to be able to enjoy this little time you have off, and it kind of reinvigorates this guys, these guys when they get back to work that they're going to be excited about studying the tape of the game um, and then prepare for another divisional opponent and try to, you know, realistically try to get back in this division race. And it's not out of touch. It's not out of hand. If you play as um, well as you can offensively as have you done the last couple weeks, it's not impossible. Five games in, now your goal is get back to 500 and then set a new foundation. But that, you know, that'll be eight weeks into the season uh, before you can even have a shot at getting back to 500. There's been one team in the history of the league owned four San Diego Chargers in 1992 to still make the playoffs. So it's been done before. It's not impossible. Hey, one more thing before we wrap up the podcast. Uh, Bears general manager Ryan Poles put a bow on the chase. Claypool matter finding a trade partner in Miami, uh, sending the veteran receiver and a seventh-round pick in 2025 to the Dolphins for a sixth-round pick in 25. So prior to kickoff in Washington, Poles in our weekly interview on ESPN 1000 and the various Bears media platforms expressed disappointment that Claypool didn't work out here since acquiring him from Pittsburgh last season. Uh, the hope for production really never was materialized. 18 catches, 191 yards, and one touchdown in 10 games with the Bears. I asked Poles what the root of the problem was, and he just said, you know, it's a scenario where a player heading into his free agent year, wanting to get his career getting uh, going in the right path, the motions got involved when the production was not there. 
and uh, the involvement with his teammates, uh, that struggle to blend in and stay resilient in the face of a losing streak, all kind of boiled up. And so uh, the best move was a move on to Miami, and the Bears will now move forward and maybe some more opportunities for young Tyler Scott, the rookie out of Cincinnati, moving forward. For Bears uh, Super Bowl guard, Tom Thayer, my broadcast partner. I'm Jeff Joniak. Thanks for listening, everyone. Back with you next Tuesday, getting ready for the Vikings and recapping the win over the Commanders with head coach Matt Eberflus. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe now on the Chicago Bears official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bear down, everybody. <laughs>